Welcome to the SAS Mining Podcast. At SAS Mining, we are bringing you into conversations with today's industry leaders in blockchain and cryptocurrency. Our goal with this podcast is to improve the understanding and adoption of blockchain and cryptocurrency by giving you an insider's look at what's being built and inform predictions on what the future holds. Today's episode is sponsored by BlockFi and Cogent Law Group. Our listeners can visit BlockFi.com slash mining for an exclusive offer for cryptocurrency management. And check out Cogent Law Group for all your legal needs. Our guest today guarded her career as an ethical information analyst at Covalence Ethical Quote and has become a broker at STX Services, as well as a consultant at ECSI Consulting. Now, she's working at LedgerX, a U.S. regulated Bitcoin options exchange dedicated to helping individual traders and institutions do more with Bitcoin. So with all that said, we'd like to welcome you, Laura, to the podcast. Thanks, Will. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. I'm very excited for this conversation. Yeah, same here. Well, after going through that background, my first question is, how did you end up at your current role in Ledger? Right. Uh, no, I mean, you can see there's like a lot of different things in the past. I think sometimes it takes a while to realize what you want to do. There's always like more or less a path towards, you know, your values or your principles. And then you end up uh, you know, sooner or later where you want to be. But yeah, so my I started like my studies I wanted to be in finance, I wanted to be an investment banker, something like that, something related. And then my interest then like switched towards like international organization. At some point I, my dream was to be like I'm from Spain, so my dream was to be like a Spanish ambassador or something like that, right? And uh yeah, and then just like you realize all the problems around, especially when you're involved with like international organizations and you start thinking about how what are the best ways to solve this? And I've always been really into technology, right? And I think blockchain is like one of the technologies that solves a lot of the issues that we have uh, in the world, particularly coming from a country that has a lot of corruption cases, right? Like I personally see uh, lots of like blockchain applications that could solve some of the issues that we currently have, especially like just funding that is not uh, sent to the right uh, projects, just, I mean, a lot of things we can get into it later, but yeah, so that's a little bit how my interest started. It's actually very interesting how I got more into Bitcoin because that was actually during business school. Back in 2013, I was walking around campus, getting into one of our restaurants there, and I saw an ATM machine, and I was going to withdraw euros because I, I needed some cash, and the owner of the restaurant was like, no, you, this is, you can't withdraw euros here. This this is a Bitcoin ATM machine, and I had no clue about Bitcoin back then. I was just like, what are you talking about? What's, what's, what's Bitcoin, right? And uh, he was just like, yeah, some sort of like virtual currency, something like that. And back then I was like, what? Like, how does this work? What's, what's the price of this currency? He said, I think it's like something like $300, 300 euros right now. And I mean, as a student, I could barely make it like allowance to allowance monthly, right? I was like, wow, 300 euros, especially in Spain, right? I was like, that's... That's a lot of money. So my first reaction was like, nobody's going to buy this, right? I guess the first reaction for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, and just like years pass by and you start hearing more about not Bitcoin, right? But also like blockchain and 
we actually like I uh, had like a few courses about it uh, in um, business school so now I started like picking some interests and uh, then finally when I moved to Boston for my master's degree it's when I started like joining meetups and going to events and you know Boston has a very very nice crypto scene um, we all know each other it's pretty small but you know it's really strong and very convincing, and you know they also have the MIT Bitcoin Expo and all these great events that happen. That you slowly start getting into it until you finally, uh, you know, join the the industry. And uh, I ideally wanted to join earlier, but I always had this feeling that I never knew enough, right? And I had to learn more before joining because I was just scared. And then after a year in consulting, after I graduated from my master's, uh, I was just like, I I need to do this, like, yeah. It's better to learn once you're in the industry, and there's no better way to learn than just like making mistakes by being in the industry or just you know going with it. So that's when I decided to pull the trigger. That's crazy how you came across it in 2013 because of a Bitcoin ATM. For this industry, is actually pretty early, and right. then you went on, you stuck with it, and now you're at LedgerX, which for everyone in the crypto industry knows of your company, a very very well known firm that you hear a lot of talk about and is seen by many people as one of these companies that's pushing the institutionalization of this industry. So I guess real quick, just to kick things off, can you explain what LedgerX at its core actually provides as a service? Right. Yeah. So from one side, we have the, the product side, right? So we have, we, uh, users can buy and sell uh, Bitcoin options and Bitcoin swaps. And then from the service side, we have the retail service and also the institutional service. There's not that much difference in between the two of them. Like currently, there's two separate platforms, but our uh, team is working on creating just one platform for uh, both uh, sides, right? They both share the same order book, no matter what. But yeah, the main difference for institutional is that they have like a negotiated uh, desk, right? Where they can do OTC trading. Uh, there's what we call the pit which uh, is a messaging board where they can like match with each other uh, to settle in trades and so. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then from the retail side, so right now we're going through all this uh, very beautiful new interface that we started already releasing two, three weeks ago, and it's slowly going to add all these new features that we've been like listening from our users that they want to see. And then eventually both sides would be together in one platform with like this difference of the negotiated trading, which institutional are allowed to do it because of their status, right? And uh, yeah, so this is our offering uh, currently. And right now we only have uh, Bitcoin options and Bitcoin swaps, but we are definitely exploring other uh, products out there, right? Especially now with like the DeFi market taking over a little bit and they're growing a lot. Uh, it's really interesting what's happening right now. So there's yeah. really cool projects. There's a lot happening. There are certain options that are available today to miners that if you backtrack five years, they didn't have the opportunity to try and hedge their risk by using these different types of options. Is this something that you're seeing a lot more today and a continued growing interest in among the miners? Or do you think that it's still very early where you don't see a lot of miners on the platform actually utilizing these products? We do see slowly more uh, mining companies joining LedgerX and uh, which is really good for us as well, right? Because it also brings liquidity for swaps or like, you know, not only for swaps, but also for the for options. And uh, it's good to see it. I think that 
One thing that we're working on right now is we're trying to uh, expand and put a lot of effort into our marketing um, services, right? And we want people to know about Ledgerac. So if you're really in the industry, you know about it. But, you know, we're still, we still need to make more noise and, and tell people about it, right? So uh, there's like this part that we are currently working on. And I think as we are as we're successful with our marketing efforts, we're going to see even more uh, mining, American mining companies on the platform. I think that also with mining, it's interesting because I, I look back into mining uh, two, three years ago, and it actually gets really expensive in the U.S., right? So it's hard to find American mining companies just because price of electricity is a lot higher than it could be somewhere else. And not only that, but you need to have your miners somewhere cooler because you know, it gets, it gets really hot. We were running one in the apartment, and uh, this is Boston in winter. I did not need to turn on the heater because <laughs> that thing was already, like, heating up the whole entire living room, right? So it gets really, really hot. And, uh, yeah, I think there's uh, – it's hard. It's a little, not hard, but it's, like, I think it's a little bit com- more complicated to find American mining companies unless they have – they set their company here and they have their operations offshore, which could definitely happen. Yeah. The mining landscape is one of those that definitely ties into how many companies are utilizing your platform and are well capitalized enough where it makes sense to take these calculated bets or hedge their risk at some point in the future by, for example, buying a put option. There's a cost associated with buying that level of risk. We're going back to that example earlier. If you're a miner and you're trying to lock in, I'm not sure what the market's at today, but let's say six months down the line, you're trying to lock in a sale price of $11,000, mm-hmm. it costs money to buy that lock-in. So if the price shoots up, then that's a loss. If it goes down, you're still locking in that price. So that leads to the question, how are these contracts normally priced? If I'm trying to lock in a price of whatever the sell price, let's say $11,000 per Bitcoin at some point in the future, how much am I paying today to lock in that sale price? Right. Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, the price of the option, there's tons of models out there, right? I think number one model that probably most market makers use is uh, Blackshul, which is number one explained model in any business school as well, right? Besides uh, the other like top three. But if you look generally at like options pricing in general, you can see that the closer you are to expiration, the you know, the cheaper it gets because you it's getting closer to the actual price and you can see how the market is doing. So it's, you know, it's uh, it's not as profitable for the one slice in the premium. Uh, it might be profitable for the one paying for the premium because then if for some reason, like last week, things like, you know, they escalate a little bit, then they make a good uh, profit from it. But yeah, but then on the, other, on the other hand, you pay like a high premium for far uh, ahead options, right? So for instance, right now, our December 31st, uh, 2021 options, I think the $10,000 drive price, and we could, this is all public, so uh, we, we can look into it. Um, but I believe last time I checked, uh, the premium was around $4,000, right? So wow. it's a great way to generate income. If you if you're a truly Bitcoin believer and you think that Bitcoin will you know be I don't know maybe like a hundred thousand by December next year, that's that's a great deal. 
your you know for thousand dollars premium that's actually pretty good and and we see that also a lot on the platform lately um and more and more as people learn more about options because sometimes you have users that join and they're still like newbies but you know they start reading and then they do better strategies but you see a lot of uh, users that they use their bitcoin to generate income monthly income and uh and that's 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 good that's especially if the market like starts sort of like stabilizing a little bit and maturing right once you see a lot of uh like, like the volume of financial labels on bitcoin has been increasing a lot uh during the last two years and you have all these big institutional customers also like coming in right now this brings a lot of stability in adoption into the market so that helps understand the movements better or like what to expect right yeah how's how's the volume looked within these these past i guess couple of weeks with the, with the bull bull run but just the past in in 2020 really uh yeah. how has that looked compared to uh i guess previously uh, on your platform as things were continuing to pick up right so Ledger is an interesting case because we, so the company was funded like, around seven years ago. And then it took a little bit to get the licenses, uh, just, you know, you to build the deck and stuff, so it takes a little bit. But then in 2017, once we got them, we launched the institutional platform. So for two years, we were all institutional. And then last year, 2019, we got the license for retail. And we launched the retail platform in, uh, in July. So it's like it's been really cool to see both in parallel and how they both grow together, right? And especially now, starting January, we started uh, doing a lot of marketing. And retail is really just it's, it's super nice, doing really well. Uh, same with traditional. There's again, like there's a lot of interest coming from everywhere as they learn more about not only LedgeRx, but the fact that there are, that there are Bitcoin options because you know there's definitely many users out there that they don't know about it yet. But yeah, so the volumes for the retail side, it's been increasing, but just because our user base, it's, you know, it's growing every month. So that's why you see an increase in that sense, but it will be good to kind of look at it relatively, right? And then for institutional, institutional thing with institutional investors, the way I see it, right? Especially now, this is a good question because I've been uh, putting together a six month review that we will soon publish with like all with volumes and uh, for both like options and swaps. But institutions really move around what's happening in the market, right? So especially this month of July, all these DeFi projects that are that are launching right now, you have many of them that were like, okay, Bitcoin hasn't really moved for the past month or two months, so I'm gonna move money into DeFi right now because I'm seeing like 80% returns, right? And then suddenly you have Bitcoin for like a week, just like going up like crazy. So whoop, they go back, you know, so it's because they have, they can do this. They can go back and forth. No problem. Cause they have the capital, right? For retail is a little bit different. And it's also really hard for like an individual to keep track of all these different projects, right? Where institutional, yeah. they have like big teams, very smart people that they, uh, they're able to just analyze, uh, all the different assets and all the different projects out there. So you see, when, whenever there's a lot of like volatility, volumes are amazing. Like they probably go two, three, four x uh, higher than they generally are on average. Wow. So in general, we do our volume is between fifteen thousand and like twenty thousand um, contracts daily, and 
I don't know, like I think Friday, like yeah, Friday we it went up to like forty thousand or something like that, or like fifty thousand. Like it really, it goes up. It, there's a big difference from like uh yeah, they said there's volatility, they said they're not. I know that last Monday was a very not stressful, but like a lot of work for like, institutional investors because you know it went from all July, part of June, Bitcoin price is like volatility was like honestly like inexistent and then suddenly it went all the way up to like a hundred, hundred and twenty, right? So they were all just like, Oh my god, let's go back into it. So yeah. It's uh it's cool though. It's very interesting to to see it. Yeah, that that's so funny that all that's actually the first time I've heard that statistic where the trading volume will spike that much when there's that much volatility. It's great right. that we're having the chance to talk about this and you're the one putting together this report on on these types of items, which right. is really helpful to see. Yeah, I mean, another time, I think that the week with the highest, there were two weeks this uh, year that had, like, crazy volume. One was March, when everything just oh, crashed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then the other one was uh, last week of June, because you had June expiration, right? So June and December expiration are generally big exp- expiration months. And, yeah, that was, I think... For after expiration, though, like all the, all the users that were like buying new contracts, right? And uh, for our December, twi- December 2021, I think we sold in total six million dollars of notional volume in two days, which wow. was a lot for us. And uh, yeah, and it's just it's it's good. I mean, it's good because especially days that there's a lot of volatility, there's a lot more interest into just creating an account. So it's, uh, it's good. It's definitely good. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good segue into, obviously you're an expert in the sector. You're reading about it every day. You're working in it. So you have a particular type of view on how things might play out over the future. Uh, right now, mm-hmm. if you were to summarize the biggest challenges that uh, not only LedgerX, but all these different companies who are trying to build these types of financial products, the challenges that you guys are going through today, what would be on the top of the list for all of these companies who are trying to offer these services? So I think that the main challenge, and this is a big challenge in the crypto space in general, it's education, right? Because especially for companies like LedgerX, you don't only, you do not only have the problem of like explaining explain what cryptocurrency is, but you also have the issue of like, what's a financial derivative, right? So you have two things that are pretty complicated to learn itself and now you're combining it and kind of combining them together. And then just like a little side note, there's also a difference between stock options and Bitcoin options, right? We get a lot of questions about, wait, but am I committing to a hundred Bitcoin? Right, because like you, when you buy or sell, um, um, stock options, you, you commit to like a hundred stocks, right? So you have like all this uh, complexity or like uh, confusion uh, with users. And yeah, so from one side, there's a, the educational side from like what's cryptocurrency, and the other one is the, the financial uh, derivatives uh, explanation side. And we're actually uh, working on creating like videos to very nice videos to explain it in a very easy way, definitely better than how I explained it. But yeah, you know, just making it more interactive with like 
better um, not only like explaining it what it is from a fundamental, but also what strategies can you build and how can you mitigate your risk of like buying call options? Like how can you uh, make sure that you're not only losing and even if you lose, you know, you get just like hedge your risk uh, buying other options and make sure that, I don't know, you know, just uh, make sure that our users are not just making one trade, losing all their money being, okay, I'm out, <laughs> <laughs> which can happen. So yeah, I think that's like, the biggest uh, challenge. And besides that, as Bitcoin price increases, because fundamentally, right, if you look at what Bitcoin is, technically it should go up, um, yeah, you'll have, it's going to be less accessible for users. Because there's, for instance, there's some exchanges that their minimum contract size is five Bitcoin, or like one Bitcoin, right? And that's that's big. Like five Bitcoin right now is, what, like $55,000 or almost 60 as of today, something like that. Um, and that's, for a retail user, that's almost impossible. And uh, if you lose, you lose a lot. So, um, yeah, yeah so what, that's going to be uh, a challenge as um, the price continues to grow. And I mean, in our case, right now, we have our contract size is actually called minis. And our contract size is a hundredth of a Bitcoin. So you go as little as uh, the other day we had like this user that paid only 50 cents for for the premium, right? Because it's only wow. one uh, 100 of Bitcoin. So uh, you can reduce the price by a lot more than you know one full Bitcoin or like three or five Bitcoin. So that's going to be I think another challenge about how and and also with volatility, right? Like we don't know if the day that Bitcoin hits 100,000, we don't know if it's going to suddenly go down to like 50,000, right? And then, you know, just like fluctuate as much as it's sort of like fluctuating right now. And how do you um, basically combine this with the contract side as well? Yeah. So I think these are probably the two main uh, challenges that uh, the options exchanges will face. Yeah. What about from the regulatory perspective? I know that, there are companies who are being built here uh, that have to abide by U.S. regulation, whereas some other companies that are operating different, in different jurisdictions might not have the same regulatory hurdles. So I guess I'll leave it pretty open-ended, but just ask, what are some of the important points that uh, that you should know when trying to analyze the regulatory approach of the U.S. versus some of these other countries? Right. I'm not that involved with the regulatory side, um, but yeah, I mean, the only issue in like now as Ledger is looking, we're looking at expanding to our jurisdictions. We recently uh, opened in Cameron Islands and uh, soon Hong Kong, and then we're of course looking to, into other countries. But yeah, I mean, it's for some, and I don't, again, I'm not that involved, but like with some countries probably gonna be about um, explaining to regulators what, you know, what Bitcoin is or what are you trying to do and also like bring the tech and uh, you actually, I, I'm guessing like sort of like being, bringing a business model to explain how is it going to work and how you are not actually, how you're like, how you're also trying to protect the citizens of that country and not trying to like, you know, lose, make them lose all their money by uh, trading options, right? And uh, I guess that's one side. I mean, the other side is, and this is the added value of being regulated, right? You're going to have 
some users that they don't want to deal with regulation because it's Bitcoin and, you know, like all this, uh, all this story around. But the good thing is that as a regulated platform, you have to go through annual uh, financial audits and cybersecurity audits, right? So you are sort of like ensuring, hey, listen, we are following the rules and we are, you know, like we have all these like background checks or like our own background check. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this, I think this is, is like, sort of, like, a challenge. Uh, and, you know, it has a pros and a cons, a pros of, like, bringing more um, trust with the users. But then in terms of, like, regulators, for the ones that don't know that much about the asset or how it works, it's just you need to explain to them. And uh, this is this is what I imagine from my previous experience at STX, right, um, there – we were actually turning environmental commodities, which are completely different. But yeah, I mean, one of my, part of my job there was to be in contact with like, uh, in my case was Spanish regulators, because I was uh, uh, head of the Spanish desk. And uh, yeah, and to just be really in touch with them and uh, just try to explain what you're trying to do or try to convince them about, you know, different things. Uh, yeah, so I guess it's the same thing, but again, I'm not really involved with the uh, regulation side. That's more of a compliance officer. And, uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I know that especially if you're not in that world 100% of the time, it can get very, very complex very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's complex. And yeah, it's complex. It's a new technology, right? Uh, just like any technology, like currently, right, they try to convince the government to allow uh, self-driving cars. It's not a one-day thing. <laughs> There's a lot around it. It's just technology is evolving too fast for what we can actually assume or, like, um, assimilate, right? So it's it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to think about. And the the other thing is tying this all back to crypto and Bitcoin. With all of this stuff happening around, it just seems logical that the way that a currency could continue to progress or just technology surrounding money, why would we stick to the existing system and the traditional fiat system that we have today? It's incredible what's been built, but there's so much more that can be created. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a good – that was actually one of the arguments that bought me into, like, you know, like believing in crypto, or like sort of being really interested in the crypto space. Because at first I was like, okay, but you know, there has to be a central bank, typical argument that backs the, the currency and whatever. But then you realize that whatever number you have in your bank account, that's a digital number. That's really nothing else than just a digital number. So it doesn't mean anything. Whereas if you look at Bitcoin, it actually means something, right? Because there's a limited supply and there's more to it. And and you, can, you, you can't just like, I don't know, just, there's some things that I personally find a little bit like sketchy the way they're done in like the fiat world, right? And like just, I don't know, just uh, how, the fact that you're able to trace back, because uh, that's one of the things with Bitcoin, right? When people say that it's, uh, oh, it's a sketchy technology because it's uh they use it for like drug dealing and uh, stuff like that, and you're like, well, it, everything is public in the ledger, so you can you can see where everything is like spent, sort of. Of course, not the exact item, but you know, it's almost like better than fiat, where with cash you can just put it whatever it is, and you, you know, you can't trace it back at, uh, at all, right? So that that's one of the arguments that actually brought me more into into it. I was just like, it's 
really what I have in the bank account is just a number and it is actually a lot more transparent than anything else, right? Like, I don't depend on a central system to tell me where the money is going, right? And you have cases like, this is a Spanish case, right? But like there was the, the, the government of the South of Spain, they stole $800 million from the taxpayers, which is a lot of money. They literally took wow. it for, for themselves, right? So you could potentially avoid these things um, by having a system that runs through a cryptocurrency. Um, of course, there's still a lot of uh, research to do. It's been a lot of things that need to be built, but it's a it's been a very young industry, right? Like, what is it now? 11 years that there's still a lot more to 11 years technically since Bitcoin, right? But again, digital money has been there for a lot longer, so it's not that much of a difference. We're just trying to make it better. <laughs> yeah, and you you just touched on a really interesting point, which is that common criticism that Bitcoin is only used for drug dealers and uh, criminal activity. And I think that that is one of the myths that, if I can just dispel for anyone watching, that's the one that I, I do want to dispel because that's something that is just not true in terms of if you're trying to actually get away with the crime. It's, there's I a public ledger where you can see all the transactions between different wallets. So if you're a criminal and you actually try and use Bitcoin, you will get caught. If uh, if you ever make that transition back to a fiat currency, because that is linked to an identity, and then they can just trace it back through all the different transactions with a timestamp, knowing when that transaction occurred and right. who was involved. And I actually read, I think it was, it might have been this year, but I, it could have been last year. But I just remember reading uh, this article about how there was this huge uh, drug. I think criminal ring that was busted. I think it was for um, child child pornography, actually, a whole drug ring that was busted because they were transacting in Bitcoin, and then they could just trace all the transactions around to catch everyone who was involved. And I think that that's something that is going to be very useful in the future to catch other criminals who try and use Bitcoin. I mean, yep. the currency of choice if you're a criminal is the U.S. dollar because there's much less traceability than if you're if you're using Bitcoin. You don't want your hands on a keyboard if you're doing something illegal because it's always going to be there. No, look at the teenager that uh, hacked into the Twitter accounts. To oh, yeah, I, we, yeah, he's been caught now. This uh, I think it was a, a teenager from Florida. Uh, yeah, like it's everything is traceable on the internet. So anything you do, it's a digital fingerprint. Just you can trace it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad we busted the myth about uh, about Bitcoin only being used for criminal activity. But if there's a myth that you would say is uh, perpetuated around, it could be anything related to crypto, blockchain. What's one myth that you would like to dispel and uh, that you'd like to debunk right now? So another myth and like this, you know, uh, that mining, mining company, right, and Bitcoin. I think another myth, and like more related to mining, and I would also love to hear your thoughts here, but it's just how, especially with Bitcoin, how uh, people complain about the energy efficiency of mining Bitcoin. But I think that it needs to be put into perspective, right? Like, yes, mining Bitcoin can be expensive, but is the product worth it? And if, if, it, if the product is worth it, what are other alternatives that we could build to make that more efficient and not that energy, uh, you know, uh, energy efficient and just, you know, just 
uh, users not being happy about it. But if you put it into perspective and you think about cruises and nothing against like cruises, but like these boats, they take, I think it's 88,000 gallons a day, which if you compare it to vehicles, I think that one day on a cruise is equal to um, something like 327 million cars uh, running for a day, which is more cars than America currently has, right? So, really? yeah, wow. so I think America has like 200-something million, I forgot what was the number. But if you put things into perspective, right, instead of like, because like, I see, I mean, probably Bitcoin is still something scary and they just attack it somehow this way. Oh, but you, it's so inefficient. Well, yeah, you got on a cruise last week and uh, you polluted a lot more than Bitcoin will pollute in, uh, you know, in a, in a while. So, yeah, so I think that's one of the myths. That's not really a myth. It's like true, but at the same time, you can fix that, right? There's a new, like, there's definitely a lot of people looking into ways of making it more efficient. And there's still tons of renewable energy out there that could be used, right? So, yeah, that's maybe one of the arguments that I don't buy when people complain about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, a very interesting topic too because there's so many different pieces to that. And you you mentioned a very important piece where where you're saying, okay, is this product worth it? And is and is this something where we're talking about a zero sum game, or is there uh, are there other variables involved? And I mean, with Bitcoin, you're the product in this case is providing something that a lot of the central banking system commits many, many resources to uh, supporting the traditional fiat system. And I'm not saying we're going to overtake the traditional system or uh, the, the traditional fiat central banking system isn't going to exist after Bitcoin expands. I, I don't believe that at all. But yeah. it, it's an important part to improving an existing system. And many times a lot of the media attention on Bitcoin mining and the energy consumption is framed in a very negative light. And one of the, I actually got into a conversation about this topic the other day with, with uh, Sergi from Easy Blockchain, but when we're going into communities, many times we're looking at using excess energy or excess power capacity that is currently not being utilized uh, or just being curtailed from, uh, from a, a renewable energy company. And so just, Quick overview, power curtailment, that's when there's excess energy that's not necessarily being utilized um, from new renewables or on the grid, and it's being just unused and, and being wasted. And so what we're looking to do is we'll go into these different areas and we'll contribute capital and investment into a particular area. And these are tax dollars. They're infrastructure for the community. They're supporting the actual energy company that's operating there that wasn't able to use all their power resources and it's really beneficial for the community and development and that's one area that unfortunately many times is overlooked they're just looking at this one variable where now there's more power consumption happening because of this mining company but there's a lot of value being created in many different areas and so i would agree with uh <laughs> with your your point that you made there that it's it's a very complicated issue and there are many benefits that aren't necessarily always brought to the forefront there. That is really good to know. I actually did not know that. That's uh, super interesting. Um, 
Do you happen to know in any sense what's the breakdown between renewables versus fossil fuels in the U.S.? Or is well, that that's that's one of the there have been some reports that have come out on on this topic, but many times I, I believe CoinShares posted a report, and there was one other I believe one other one that was that did an analysis of the exact breakdown, and I don't remember the exact percentages. Uh, maybe we can get someone to look it up and post them on the screen or something like that. <laughs> but it, it is also one of those areas that's very difficult to exactly measure and making sure everything's being reported and knowing about all the operations that are actively operating. So I haven't gone and fact-checked the data there, but when I read the data, it was – I think it was posted with uh, with a view where there's a lot more renewable energy that's powering the Bitcoin network than people think. And it makes sense when you think about all of the excess energy that's being curtailed out in the world today, that there could be an economic incentive to just bring in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin mining and start generating more value in many areas within the U.S., uh, not to go on a, a long mining rant here, but no uh, with, with stranded power or excess energy, many times these companies are writing these assets off as a loss and they're not generating any money. They've already put up the initial investment to build out the power infrastructure, but right. now there's a lack of demand or there's no way for them to actually drive cash flow off of that power infrastructure. And so a mining company can come in and operate a cryptocurrency mine on site and all of a sudden now they have a buyer for that power and they're actually making some money off of this power capacity rather than making zero dollars and it's a very sustainable way to continue to grow bitcoin's vision and grow the network without uh, without necessarily hurting any of the surrounding parties involved actually only benefiting and helping the parties involved so right. that's one area there that I see a lot of growth in the future with cryptocurrency mining. Right. Is uh, is Derek? Is uh, I know that sometimes with renewable energy you lose a lot of energy because you know there's either the adequate technology is not being used or there's still some research to do into it and development. Is there a lot of like uh, energy loss when using uh, renewable energies for mining Bitcoin, or would you say it's more or less the same uh, compared to fossil fuels? By energy lost, are you talking about energy from the power producer's point of view? Yes. Uh, like, okay, so the, the power producer, if they're getting their power from renewable energy, they're in a position where they have a certain amount of energy being created, depending on what type of renewable, and there's a certain amount during the day where the wind might not be blowing or the sun might not be shining, and they're going to have to cut down their load. And so when that load is is cut down and they're not producing as much power, then then there's technically a lost opportunity there uh, if they have excess power in those times when it's when the light's shining or the wind's blowing, and they have to properly allocate their resources to make sure that they're making as much money as possible from all the power that they're generating. And so right. they have different types of strategic ways internally that they try and allocate that power and allocate their resources, but many are looking at mining as a way to actually improve their bottom line, just because mining is so flexible in many regards. For example, a mine can be shut off on a dime and they can put that power towards the grid, 
when mm-hmm. the grid's really profitable, whereas other times when they're entering into some sort of energy contract, they might not be able to just shut off the power to this customer on a dime because that cu- it could have serious repercussions. Many customers aren't okay with saying, you can't shut me off at it, like with five minutes notice and for however many hours, whereas a miner, we can say, yeah, as long as you're not shutting us off for over 2% of the year, over 3% of the year, then that's fine. So that's another added benefit of mining versus many other types of customers these energy companies might run into. Right. This is all fantastic knowledge for anyone who's listening. So we might have to do a reverse podcast at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why I, I love these podcasts, because you get into conversations with other very um, intelligent and interesting people who are working in the space. And you have the, the trading side. You're working at Ledger X and building amazing products. And our background, we're, we're from the mining side. And that's that's where our focus is. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's uh, I agree. I mean, Ledrex and any mining company, we are good friends. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'd like to thank BlockFi for sponsoring today's episode. BlockFi provides wealth management products for crypto investors. I personally hold my crypto with BlockFi because they pay me up to 6.2% interest annually on all of my crypto holdings. At SAS Mining, we've hooked up all of our listeners with a special sign-up bonus. All you have to do is go to BlockFi.com slash SASMining and sign up. Again, visit BlockFi.com slash SASMining for an exclusive bonus offer. It's a no-brainer to earn additional interest with BlockFi. Today's episode is also made possible by Cogent Law Group. Finding reliable legal representation in blockchain is one of the biggest challenges when building a business. You need to make sure that you work with a law firm that understands the legal frameworks that apply to the industry and has the ability to strategically help you grow your business. When researching law firms for SAS Mining, I found that Cogent Law Group checked all of the boxes. Not only do their lawyers have expert level experience, but they also understand the blockchain industry. Cogent Law Group gives you access to high-end lawyers without breaking the bank. To kick it off, what's your favorite book? Favorite book? Uh, that's a good question. Um, this, it's always tough, right? Because there's always like more than one book that you really like or that made an impact in your life. I think most recently, the last book that I've read that uh, made a change Kind of, it's this book called Shantaram. I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, it's a pretty long book, something like a thousand pages, but it narrates the story and adventures, a real story about this guy, uh, this Australian guy that in the 80s, I think it was, he escaped from the highest security jail in Australia. Wow. And he took a plane. The way he escaped is also amazing. Like he escaped at like daylight, 12 p.m., just Amazing, uh, very interesting. But anyways, he took a plane and he flew to India and then he spent the next 10 years in India. And uh, yeah, and he just like speaks about, of course, he's not proud of anything he did and I'm not, I'm not like justifying anything he did, but it's just, it's uh, very cool to see how he's giving himself a second chance in life and how he's realizing about everything that he did wrong. And it's more of a self-discovery book, but at the same time, you go together with his experience in India and you just learn a lot about India as well that I had no clue. And I just, you know, I see it as such a beautiful country right now. And I, you know, I would love to visit. 
but yeah, it's a great book. I I generally don't read this kind of books. I'm always more focused on like high performance books or things that are gonna make me learn, you know. And at some point, you just need to like relax. And it was during Christmas. I called a friend, hey, what books should I read? She told me about this book. And at first, I was skeptical because you know, I was just like, yeah, this is a story. I don't know if I like this. And no, when I started reading, it's like it's super well written. Uh, the author, the author is actually a guy who escaped from jail himself. Wow. So he wrote the book. He wrote the book because the story is that after 10 years in India, he flew to Frankfurt, and then at the airport he was caught and sent back to jail for five or six years. And then while in jail, he wrote the book. And the guards burned the manuscript, I think, two or three times. And then oh the last manuscript was the one he managed to write. Uh, the last month of like being in jail and then being released and uh yeah so he was the one who wrote the book um and he was already like writing all his stories uh through his time in india so it's it's good i i recommend it to everyone who wants a different kind of uh read yeah that's interesting what was the most interesting thing that you learned about india in the book um for me it's just okay so there this guy at some point he decides to live in the slum of uh of wherever he is which i forgot right now but it's just everyone uh the people in india they are also and they treat everyone like a family really like a family and it's uh they will help you out if you prove that uh you care about them and this is uh, a guy i think indians call um like foreigners i think they call them goras or something like that i, I might be like really wrong about this but yeah, so for like, apparently for people in India, they were like, oh, there's this Goda that is actually even learning our language. Like he went as far as like learning uh, the local language. And uh, so they really appreciated that. And they and like, I don't know, he was, uh, it's, it's very beautiful, right, to see that and just learn about the different uh, like parties that they have. And like also like living in the slums, like apparently slums are very illegal, but you know, like it's just, government doesn't do really anything about it because there's a lot of people that unfortunately live in poverty there. So um, during the rainy season, the whole slum always gets like completely messed and 25% of the slum gets like wiped out, right? But everyone from like young people to old people, male, female, everyone works 24 hours nonstop during the uh, rainy season to make sure that everyone is safe and everyone has food. So it's just it really makes you appreciate also what you have and and this guy is actually interesting because when he after being released from jail he went back to india to i think either to build a school for like kids or to to help like a community of kids and uh in the area so yeah i uh, just it's it's nice it's uh that's i don't know it, it makes you feel loved and like he puts you into perspective with the rest of the world Sounds like a great book. I'm going to have to add that to the list. Yeah, do it. (laughs) I've been asking this question in every single one of these podcasts, and every single time I'm thinking, oh, well, there's another book that I'm going to have to, you know, make sure that I get get around to reading. (laughs) Right. There's a, yeah, there's tons of good things out there. There was, I remember, I think it was Naval. I was listening to a podcast with Naval, and uh, he says that it's impossible to read all the reads you want to, all the books you want to read in your life. So he mentioned, like, you need to select the top 20, 30, maybe 40 max, right? And just read them and learn them and, like, learn from it and just grow with the book, right? Which I don't even think I could just top 30. (laughs) But, (laughs) yeah, there's really good uh, reads out there.
Yeah, definitely. So uh, before I ask the last question, uh, is are you on social media? Uh, are you active on social media where people can connect with you and listen to you? Trying to be active. I'm failing at the Twitter game. I tried it, but I just uh, tweets don't come out of my mind, just like most people in the crypto industry out there that I see tweeting all the time. But yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can find me as like at Vidiella Laura, which is my last name and first name. And uh, I'm also open on Telegram. Actually, like uh, yeah, my Telegram is open to any like address user, anyone who has any questions about Bitcoin or Bitcoin options. Uh, and my Telegram handle is first name and last name Laura Vidiella. But if you type Laura Ledrex, probably gonna show up there. All right, perfect. So. The last question is, as we know, there's a lot that's being built. There's a lot that's happening. And we've touched on not only things within blockchain, but also just technology outside of crypto. But if we were to narrow it down to blockchain technology, crypto, and in particular, some of the things that you're seeing with your work at LedgerX, what is the one piece of knowledge or advice that you would give to everyone listening? Um, I mean, besides trade at your own risk, because I, I have to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, if anyone wants to get into the space, if anyone is looking at like investing, just go and, and if you're new into it and you're not sure what to do, Bitcoin is always the safest bet in my opinion. But again, like anyone should make their own uh, um, like research and uh, like just like knowledge into it. But yeah, I think that's like the safest bet, uh, not only from like a trading perspective, but it's just, uh, it's a great asset that hopefully will help us build a better world out there. Uh, so that's my little piece of advice or my tip for anyone that's trying to, uh, or like learning more into the industry. And before you decide to buy or anything, just read a lot and ask a lot of questions. Like there's uh, nothing but a bad decision or I, I always compare it to like going to a restaurant and paying for a meal that you don't like in the end, right? And uh, it's on you to ask the waiter what's the best thing on the menu. So uh, same thing here, just make sure you understand. Particularly, actually, you know, I say make sure you understand the technology before you buy into any token out there, right? Understand the technology and see if there's any value to that technology or if you think that that technology could eventually develop like great value for society. Great. I think that, that that piece of advice is going to age very well <laughs> when people <Hopefully>. look back. <laughs> All right. Well, Laura, thanks again for, for coming on the podcast. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again soon. Yeah, thanks, Will. I really enjoyed this, and thank you guys for having me on board. This was super fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the SAS Mining Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media and YouTube for the latest updates and previews of upcoming episodes. Full episodes and transcripts can be found on sasmining.com every Thursday. If you want to hear us interview a particular guest on a future episode, please reach out to us at podcast at sasmining.com.